College basketball fans, what's going on, everybody? I am Timmy Hall. He is evil, bald Colin. Colin, we made it to the final four, buddy. Tim, we finally did. Uh, not with a cast, of, uh, group of casts that we thought we were going to end up with. Uh, I thought a lot of blue bloods might be involved. A couple of one seeds. Of course, you have to expect one seeds because they seem to be in it every single year. But nonetheless, we have a fun little group uh, of what you can call a mixture of Cinderella's and really good teams that might have been underseeded. I was about to say, you shut your dirty, <laughs> mid-major, hating mouth right there for any kind of scent that you don't enjoy what we got here with San Diego State, the Aztecs, man, the house that Fisher built, Brian Dutcher. For people that don't know Evil Bald Colin, we do a whole lot of silly college basketball stuff behind the scenes. We've even had some of you fine listeners join us in our Big Ten fantasy basketball season. His team, his squad, has been named the Flying Dutchman. He has a little avatar of Brian Dutcher up there on his fantasy basketball team. Now, here we are. I think that was, yeah, uh, yeah, for the most part I did. Um, and then I went back-to-back -back years, no big deal. But yeah, no, uh, no big deal, you know, just uh, I'm the only one that's paying attention all the way through. No, I <laughs> we mean, stopped we stopped setting our rosters. That's why we lose. Here's the honest thing, is we've been preparing you all year for the teams that have made it. We've talked quite a bit about UConn and when they were obviously undefeated everybody was on them uh, Florida Atlantic a team that we mentioned in December was a mid-major flavor you had to watch out for them had really good scoring guards and some good transfers into the program that could surprise some teams now granted didn't really expect them to beat the type of teams that they did in the tournament but they pulled it out and they deserve every piece of credit that they're getting and quite honestly I think they it's not crazy to say wow we've seen all the upsets it's not crazy to say they, they could win this whole thing we're going to have some fun Final Four facts along the way in this podcast. Oh, and hey, uh, we're actually not coming to you live for all of our friends listening on The Fan on our Saturday morning replay. It is a replay once again. We have been able to get into our own quiet studio on our own terms, on our own time, because really Saturday is the day. So when you hear this on Saturday morning, this will be leading into the big day for the final four games. But we got to catch you up. We got to give some thoughts on how we got here. Those games in the Elite Eight to set up the final four. Big final four episode right here, right now. It's Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds, Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner, across the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. Oh! 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 Sapped it in, Jerome! College basketball! This is March Madness! CBS Sports, college basketball. Timmy Hall and Evil Bald Colin with you. So we go back to these Elite Eight games, set the table for where we are this weekend. Three of the four were killers, man. Pretty great, exciting finishes, crazy calls, right? I mean, the only one that I feel bad about, obviously, is the Zags, the poor little Zags just getting completely destroyed. I also love there was some video going on, uh, going around social media that caught my attention as to how much Drew Timmy travels with the basketball. 
And <laughs> just throw that into the mix of why Drew Timmy, sensational college basketball player, but going to have a very, very hard time ever making it even for like a minute at the NBA level. Can be play professionally fine, but hey, man. What's funny is that video lost in that. That video actually came out from the UCLA game, and I'm guessing someone at UConn kind of urged the refs to watch for it because they were on top of it early and often, and they weren't hesitant to call him for it. I think they called him at least twice in the first 10 minutes on it. Yeah, it just went from bad to worse for, for the Zags. I mean, 82 to 54. So UConn has become, even though we never really had that team all year in college basketball, Alabama became that team later. But now UConn just feels like a dominant force. And we'll do this before the end of the pot. I want to save them for the end. Like, I want to save our actual picks for the final four in the national championship until the final segment. But I don't feel it's going to be as easy because I got some respect for Miami. But overall, when we throw those four games out there, I mean, FAU and Kansas State, it was sensational. The kind of one where I mentioned a call at the end. I'd be talking about San Diego State's 57-56 win over Creighton. And then Miami with the huge comeback. Great game there. Beating Texas 88-81 to feel good for Rodney Terry getting the contract extension. I thought the season as a whole, he deserved it. It's cool to see guys like that get rewarded. But, man, uh, those were some great games. Great games, CB. Yeah, they were really good games and games that just continued the trend of going against everything I thought that was going to happen because I thought, oh, yeah, Kansas State, you know, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, uh, Masood, they're going to handle these guys. Florida Atlantic's had a fun run, and, you know, this should be the end of it. And as we saw, <laughs> that's not the case, man. There's just something about this Owls team, and we saw it up close and personal uh, a couple weeks ago or weekends ago, and just the way they're very talented in a lot of different positions, very strong guard play, Elijah Martin, John L. Davis, and then uh, this Vlad Golden guy who transferred in from Texas Tech and is now the center for Florida Atlantic has really been the difference maker, in my opinion. The big Russian dude, right? Yes, because yeah. he's not like a typical mid-major big guy. He can play at the big level, and he can take on some of these, and uh, I think they'll match up well against Nathan Mensa for San Diego State, and if they meet a like of a Norchad Omir or an Adama Sanogo in the final, they've got a guy, if he doesn't get into foul trouble, he can match up and play strong against. Yeah, he's he kind of reminds me, they're not like the same build or anything, but in terms of production, uh, Fardoz, Amick, okay, who uh, transferred, you mentioned Texas Tech, right? And he's cut. You talk about Golden, the FAU big guy. Look at his upper body. He is like a freaking Drago. So he isn't just, you might read a roster and it will tell you a guy is a certain height and weight. And then you look at the guy and you're like, oh, but you are super slow. You don't have a whole lot of skill. This golden guy kind of plays with an edge. He gets fired up. He gets hyped up out there. And it looks like the guy curls, like does like 500 bicep curls a day. He's going for those glamour muscles. No doubt about it. But the dude is cut. The dude has got a cut physique. So uh, they, they bring something to the table. Did you see, did you have any rooting interests in these Elite Eight games? Like did... Did you get the games you wanted to get? Because some people might say with what Marquise Noel was doing as that stud of a player would have been pretty would have been pretty neat to see him get a chance to go on to the final four from an individual player standpoint. But right. aside from that, like what was your thought there? So that game specifically, I mean, I, I kind of was okay with either team that went. I like Noel and Johnson, and I, I love the culture that Jerome Tang's already built there in one year. I, I think they deserved the opportunity to go on and contend for a title. But at the same time, I mean, I have connected people that 
have connections to Florida Atlantic. So I'm happy for them. And I'm glad that they get to continue on this ride. So that game is probably not the best example for me. I was kind of happy with whoever made it, but I just love the story that we're getting with this team. Cause still, even though they're in the final four, I think if you ask the average fan, the name more than maybe two or three guys, they probably couldn't do it. They've just kind of been doing this under the radar for a lot of folks out there. What are your connections to Boca Raton, are you I, I like Del, friend, the Costanzas no, at Del Boca Vista? What do we got there? I just have a friend that is, uh, he's originally from Cleveland, and then he and his wife moved down there, and they live in the Boca, South Florida area. Oh my God, man. A lot of shuffleboard going on. <laughs> Supposedly, that's what they say. Um, you don't I, have to move when it's time to retire. That is You're nice. already there. That is nice. Yeah, I mean, you're, cut, you're cutting down on costs, really. Like You're not going to have to make that move when you're 65 years old. You just, write, you just <laughs> go left, you know? You're, is, you're it, is, that, is that on your plan, your future plan? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know how big. I don't know how big of a Florida guy I am. But if I was already living there, I pro- probably wouldn't be looking to leave. You know, uh, because all the golf courses are there, sure. and uh, that, that's the place for that. But, ma'am, I um, I want to turn the attention real quick because I saw you tweet a little bit uh, about this, and I, I went the other way. I just I chose to go the other way, and I don't know. It's obviously the the specific call, like what the exact call goes a long way. Also, I think it's just sort of a, what kind of guy are you? Like as a, as a basketball guy, how you view the game. And that's fair. I, I know where you were heading. You talked about like the way the refs set the tempo of a game. I generally am with you there. Like I, I would like if it's a physical game and we're going to let stuff go, it shouldn't change like in the final couple of minutes. If they're, pl- if they're calling it tight, if they're they, calling should, it they tight. should call this a foul. I yeah. agree. It's it's I was okay with it because of the level. I think it's also one of those fouls where guys have always tried to get away with. And I think basketball players have been getting away. I'm talking about like when you go up to defend the shot with your blocking hand, it's almost like if I reverse this for picture an offensive player driving to the basket and he goes up and a lot of times refs have just ignored that offhand. You you will see offensive players go up to, like, lay the ball in over a, a defensive guy who's in perfect position, even if he's jumping, but jumping vertical. Someone might hammer down, like, an arm, like, right into the player's shoulder or face area, and they'll call it a defensive foul. And it's just wrong. And if anything, it should, by the book, be whistled an offensive foul. In this case, guys going up. Uh, who was the player? Who was the player that committed the foul? Was it Nemhard for Creighton? It was Nemhard against, uh, I believe, that was Darion Trammell. Trammell was the was the guy that got fouled. It was with, and, and again, I was okay with it because there was still time. It wasn't a zeros foul. There was 1.7 seconds left, so there was time to throw the baseball pass and get something done. He missed one of the free throws too, and that shouldn't even be part of it. It's was it a foul? Do you have to make the call? I thought it was a foul. I thought he pushed off with his left with his left hand enough, and he moved the shooter like a good couple of feet off his spot, and you can kind of see it in the release of the shot. So a lot of people have problems with it. I understand it. I thought foul is a foul. Has to be called. Now you go. Uh, me personally, you you kind of touched on it at the beginning, the flow of the game, whether they're calling it tight or whether they're letting things play. I mean, there, there was only 22 foul calls in the entire game. So it's they were clearly letting San Diego State set the momentum of how this game was going to be played. It's physical in the post, and it's tight perimeter defense. And me personally, I, I think it's, it's no different than the fact that in the modern game, we've seen the, I wouldn't say the removal, but it's not as emphasized as the, the hand check. 
kind of getting the guys, your hands on the guy when he's dribbling the ball or when he's off the ball. Right. Some of, some of these off-ball screens that we see, just how physical they are, it just it feels like unless if there's a complete displacement, which in my opinion, it didn't seem like he was completely displaced. And I thought, it was, I thought there was enough. It's like right on the line. It's right on the line where... I'm, I'm, I, I know what you're saying. Like you can turn your mind to however you want it to view it in this one. Cause it wasn't super egregious, but if you stare at it long enough, like I'll see that left hand push the player enough to make the shot go off the mark. And it was the reason he missed it. I, I mean, it was different than a hand check to me too. Like perimeter hand check on the drive. I would have hated to see that, but it was on the shot when the shots going up, you got to be careful. Like you got to be playing perfect defense have your hands out, have your hands up vertical, don't impede, don't reach, you know, you reach, I teach type of thing. And uh, he got the call and he went to the line. He made one out of two and then they still had the, ch- the chance for the baseball pass. But I'd like to see them be able to advance the basketball like they do in the women's game. I think that would make things a little bit more exciting for those end of game yeah. scenarios would have been perfect for this Creighton San Diego state game. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that because really all you're doing is just rewarding a team for having an extra timeout or using their timeouts wisely. Um, I guess that's fine. I don't really have a hard opinion on one side or the other. I personally would just be fine with the way things are, but if I care about the uh, enter- entertainment aspect of it, yes, as a, as a neutral fan, I would love to see that. But as a, as a team of the fan or a fan of the team that's on the opposite end or playing defense in that situation, I would feel terrible about it. All right, more setting the table for the final four and how we got here. You guys are locked into Mad About Hoops. Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin, this is your stop for college basketball. Your college hoops guys, Mad About Hoops. We are to the final four. We're talking about these Elite Eight games and setting the table for Saturday's action and then Monday's national championship. Let's go to that Miami-Texas game, shall we? I'm sure most people were just thinking that the Longhorns, look, my, my bracket is now completely shot, but again, I don't care. Am I am I alone there? Like I don't Man, care I, about my bracket. Okay, so I won mine, and that was decided after the Elite Eight. That tells you how bad it was for just in general. This is a group of like eight to ten people. I won my pool in the 75th percentile with 500 points. Uh, that's just how bad it is. <laughs> it's just the amount of people that lost so many Final Four and Elite Eight teams within the first weekend just completely tossed it on its head. So at, at that that's point, that's crazy. Is that the earliest you can ever recall winning a bracket pool? Oh, by the Elite Eight, absolutely. Yeah, right. But I know but, stuff happens, but but to do that because of of a fault, every single person in this bracket pool had all of their Final Four eliminated. Well, look, Texas lost Dylan DeSue, who was becoming a big reason that they were going to make a run. I think he was averaging like twenty three points per oh, game in the man. tournament. Well, not just the tournament, but if you watched him down the stretch, you watched him in that last game against Kansas. I mean, the guy had just been. Not just a spark. You've been providing Texas with a different element as to how they could play, the level of play they're getting from their big guy, right? And then you know what uh, Timmy Allen brings. You know what Marcus Carr brings when he gets hot. Like, we, we've we seen – I had friends texting me who, like, aren't all up to speed on the national scene in college basketball, you know, but pay attention to the Buckeyes and here in Big Ten country. I'm like, is that the same – is that the dude from Minnesota that was always killing the Buckeyes? I'm like, yes. yeah. That be the guy, and he just keeps getting better and better, like a fine bottle of wine. Like Carr, when uh, never, 
he has to go into one of those categories as one of the streakiest guys, right? Oh, yeah. He's absolutely in that category with like Caleb Love, uh, even Marquise Noel with his shot selection. He would fall into that category, too. Just guys that you would see how he performs and, and put up wacky stat lines and you'd be like okay well he probably had like nine ten points you look up he's got 16 17 on the board uh-huh. well, just because it's, it's such a high volume it's just when he gets going too and it's in like the big spots of a game i just hate to see him loading up to shoot it you know because i'm worried because in a big spot when the crowd is like ready to really go nuts especially if that's a home game for them or if they got the crowd on their side i don't want marcus carr anywhere near it because i'm afraid he's going to do something special and make a big shot or drive to the lane and hit it high off the glass but the the job that miami did to stay in that contest when it looked like it was going to get out of control and then they wound up winning the second half 51 to 36 after they were down big what were they do you have a number on what they were ultimately down? Do you remember? Were I know they, they down were down 15 They points? were down 13. They were down 13. Point. So they went down 13 to then being up, I want to say, 10, like late in that basketball game. And they completely reversed it and kind of coasted away to a nice seven-point win. There was an impressive second-half performance by the Canes. And I feel really good about their chances here this weekend. Yeah, so Texas, I think, helped out in that, in that situation. They did one of those where they went – like seven, eight minutes without a physical basket. Uh, that'll play. Always helps. That, yeah. That always plays into a comeback. But we see those droughts a lot in tournament time, the field goal droughts. I don't think people realize how much of an abnormality uh, this Miami run is. And not because they're a five seed, not, not, it's because of their metrics and really defensively. They're outside, they're still outside the top 100 defensively and defensive rating. And you don't see teams even outside the, outside the top 75 to 100 make it to the final four. That's just, you just don't see that happen. When you pick brackets, people tell you top 75 in both categories. If we you want them to that. even go to the final four, Dude, even we think say about that it. even to make a sweet 16 run. Really? Yes. We talk about that all the time. How uh, they were down. If Ohio state wants to get serious. They were down. You got to pick points. it up there. They were down eight points with five minutes left against Drake came back and won that game. Could have been over right then and there. I mean, we, we could yeah. say the same thing about Florida Atlantic. Memphis sure. doesn't get that timeout called. They come back, score, win the game. Rest is history. They're now it, in the Final Four. It just, it you just need a little, changes on a dime like that. You, you need a little bit of like a fact breaker, you know, or oh, yeah. a stat breaker. Like, yes, like we've got our numbers and and you like to you like to give them, but we also like to take them with a grain of salt. And we've joked all year long about the Buckeyes, right? With their analytics and how highly they kept being rated by Ken Palm and how it's a nice tool to use. A lot of people use them. It can tell it, it can tell you some things about a basketball team. But again, it's not it's not taking game pressure into account, right? It's not telling you, well, which possessions in that game are we talking about? Pressure possessions, you know, out of timeouts, go, you know, final four minutes of a first half, kind of pressure spots of a game, first four minutes in the second half, those kind of spots, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Basketball is a game of runs. And again, some crazy things can happen. And Miami just has just a bunch of good players. I think that's where good older guys, I mean, good all, older all guys four, and great guards. These teams. All four of these teams have upper class that played huge roles. I mean, you talk about Matt Bradley, 
uh, Nathan Mensa, Darion Trammell, they're all older guys over there at San Diego State. Florida Atlantic, Janelle Davis, uh, Elijah Martin are upper, upper classmen, I think, in the, like the juniors. But C- Connecticut's got a bunch of guys. Adama Sanogo, he's a sophomore, but Jackson, no. Jordan what? Hawkins? It's not Andre Jackson. It's Jordan Hawkins is who I'm thinking of. Yes. Jordan Hawkins is a sophomore, but uh, you, you throw in Miami with all those upperclassmen guards. Jordan Miller, Isaiah Wong, uh, Norchad Omir, like these guys fit in that category where we say old wins in college basketball. We hear Co- Coach Holtman talk about that all the time. It's proven in this situation. Well, the thing was is that Miami won that game with two three-pointers and one three-pointer between Pac Wong and Jordan Miller, who, by the way, can we just can we do like a small dedication of this week's podcast to Jordan Miller. We mentioned him right at the end of last week's. And when I found out that this dude is from a little town near where I grew up in Middleburg, Virginia, I know Jim Lachey, a Redskins guy from back in the day, used to go out there and have a nice, you know, cold cut sandwich in a nice little town. Just not used to seeing high end division one players from that part of Northern Virginia, a Loudoun Valley guy. And he went seven for seven from the floor, 13 of 13 from the free throw line. He had his own Christian Leitner perfection game. That was sensational. 27 points for Miller as Miami gets the job done. And they just, they didn't need the three ball. It's crazy. It's crazy how they they were two for eight. Texas hits 10 threes, but they absolutely dominated from the floor, shooting at almost 60%. Texas even had 20 assists in that game. It's just a crazy box score to look at to see how, you know, Texas could have 20 assists, out-rebound the Hurricanes, make eight more three-pointers while shooting 50% from the floor, and they lose the game by seven points because of Miami's ability to get to the free-throw line and knock all of them down. Uh, real quick, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Dave Paulson. If you don't know that name, that guy was the former head coach of George Mason for about five to six years. Final year was the 2020-2021 season. Uh, now just actually recently got the head coaching job at Holy Cross, but he is the guy that put together that roster that <laughs> at George Mason that didn't really do a whole lot, went 14-9 in that season, uh, had Josh Aduro, who's been a really good A-10 player. He's about to transfer. He's an upperclassman. Oh, we know someone else he would have had then. Jordan Miller. And? Tyler Kolek. Tyler Kolek, the Big East Player of the Year at Marquette. It's three wow. leading scores, and they wow. went 14 and nine. But you know what? He knows that coach's name again at Mason? Dave Paulson. Coach Paulson. And now Way to go, buddy. And I'm guessing he, he just got the Holy Cross job, I'm assuming, off the backs of all three of those guys. That's incredible. And uh, as hey, we'll do that coming up here, too, because we'll uh, we'll keep breaking down the Final Four again in our final segment coming up here. We will give you our picks and the why here where we've got Florida Atlantic. We've got San Diego State. Then we've got UConn and Miami. I mean, crazy stuff, right? Uh, To throw one little Final Four factoid at you, since 1979, when the NCAA tournament was first seeded, there's never been a Final Four without a one, two, or a three. You may have heard that one already, but if you didn't, let that sink in. UConn is going to be the highest seed at a four. Miami and San Diego State, both fives. And FAU, a nine seed. So you know it's what? going to but be a fun one. A lot of streaks have been broken with the final four, but one that's going to stick. It now moves to, uh, it, no, now it's nine of the past ten tournaments. But a number seven seed or worse has now made the final four. Thank you, Florida Atlantic, for continuing that. A seven seed or a worse. Yeah. So truly one of those 
Well, it's not always a mid-major team, but a middle middle seated team. Well, FAU can, yeah. is both. North Carolina last year. FAU is both, certainly. Checks both boxes. But wild coaching carousel, even something you said about George Mason. There's a connection here with the new gig for Ohio State and the George Mason Patriots, but a lot to be said about the coaching carousel. It's been crazy out there. You guys are locked in to Mad About Hoops. Mason All right, Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin. Thank you guys so much for coming on this ride with us through the college basketball season. It's almost coming to an end. I know that is sad. And you know, we at risk of turning this into a George Mason Patriots podcast. I don't really care though. My sister's a professor there, so th- this will be a cool one for her to pop on. And this guy was a Buckeye. He was on the staff here. Very, very short-lived on this Ohio State staff. But also, if you love great runs and you respect mid-majors doing special things, who can forget Jim Laranega? It's all connected here, right? Jim Laranega doing what he's done at Miami. He doesn't get that opportunity if he doesn't crush it the way he did at George Mason. And when you take a program like that to the Final Four, And it was the teams that I got to pull up the teams that George Mason actually knocked off in that stretch. I'm sure UConn was one of them. I, Uh, they were, I'm sure they were right. I'm going to say like UConn, uh, maybe a Kentucky, maybe North Carolina. They were all big time programs. That was what made that George Mason run more special is because who they were beating. But Hey, Tony skin, who was an assistant here for coach Holtman, Stuff was being shuffled around. I forget who left. It was probably Terry Johnson. I believe it was. Who left to go back to Purdue's yes. bench with and coach under Matt Painter. So that opened a spot. So Tony Skin came over from uh, Seton Hall, correct? Yes. He was at Seton Hall. Yes, he was with Kevin Willard. Yeah, he, he came over from Seton Hall here to Ohio State. So we had Tony Skin here. I enjoyed my time with him uh, and the gig that I do doing pre and post game stuff for Ohio state basketball. I talked to a rotation of the assistant coaches. So got to talk to Tony after many basketball games, very cool dude. I just, me personally loved a dude from uh, the Northern Virginia, the DC area, just getting to connect in those ways, being from around the same spot. And he went back to the East coast this past year with Kevin Willard when he got the Maryland job. So he's back in the area there. So I'm sure he's able to keep those relationships strong. You're in the D.C. metro area. And then here he goes. Uh, George Mason's guy is out. Uh, Kim English left George Mason to go to Providence. All these things are connected, right? Ed Cooley leaves Providence to go to Georgetown. We talked about Cooley in the last pod. But congrats to Tony Skin. This has to be very cool for him. Man, very special run. Final four in 06. Now he's the head coach there. It's pretty neat. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like this trend of t- in teams and programs where if they really want to make a, a splash higher in their communities, go for guys that have some experience but also a background in your school. And by that, guys that have played there. And if they've made a huge impact, it's even a plus. And what, what Tony Skin did at George Mason, you you can't get a whole lot higher than that for that program. So the, the fact that they're going to bring him in, bring some juice back into that program, uh, and, and hopefully bring them back into some more rel- relevance, uh, relevance to the A-10 because they've kind of been middle of the pack to the bottom for the past, I would say, five to six years, maybe even longer than that. But overall, just give them an opportunity to make this more than just a one-bid league. And I, I believe he's got the the capabilities of doing that. I'm actually looking at the bracket right now. 
But what do you remember about that, uh, without looking at it? Like, what do you remember either about Mason or that 06 NCAA tournament? And then I'll give you what their run actually was and where they were seated. Really, all I remember is, first off, they were an 11, which people don't they really were. realize. Yep. They thought they were a lot higher uh, or so they were lower pretty solid. as a seed. They were pretty solid yeah, mid-major absolutely. team absolutely. For an yeah. 8-10 team to be an, yep, 11, to be an 11 seed, that's really, and you're not the... or. I can't remember if they they were the automatic qualifier or not. I, I actually don't have that in front of me here. They were twenty three and seven. I'm so gonna say it's a good it's a good chance, but yeah. regardless, they could have. Ma- I don't know if they're making it as an at large at twenty three and seven. I think maybe you would be a thirteen at best with that yeah. many losses from a league that size. I, so I'm going to assume that they won their league I think to get the auto. All, all I remember is that they played UConn and Florida the final two games. If that's correct, they did lose to Florida. Okay. In uh, the final four, and they kind of uh, they didn't get run out of the gym. It was seventy three fifty eight, so the, they were out of the tank was empty. You know, Florida, really good team. They went on to win the national the UConn championship. Game, the UConn you know? game actually went to overtime, I believe. Correct. UConn did go to overtime, eighty six to eighty four. Before that, and the I'll walk it back. The Elite Eight. It was a nice little mid major, mid major, and one of the best mid majors. That elevated with Greg Marshall, Wichita State. So George Mason beat Wichita State in the, in the Sweet 16. Sorry. They beat it, the UConn game was the Elite Eight game. George Mason beat Wichita State 63-55 in the Sweet. Before that, mentioned the Blue Bloods, North Carolina. They beat them 65-60. And in the opening round, they beat Tom Izzo and Michigan State. First round exit for Izzo, wow. 75-65. Uh, Larinaga, though, is one of the better coaches in the game that doesn't get that kind of that kind of talk, but he's he's got to be up over like 730 wins. And if you look at his run I here at Miami. No, because I actually had to look this up recently. He's just a, sh- a tad shy under 700. Okay. But so he's he, getting up but there. But he's got more than John Wooden. More than Wooden. And you know what? The He had a three-year stretch in his tenure at Miami before they just – Picked it up again here recently in the two straight Elite Eights and now the Final Four. I don't know. I can't sit here and say what the board was talking about at Miami or what administration was saying. I'm going to – I would guess that they were still committed to him based on what he did in his first five or six years at Miami – had some struggles in the middle. It got a and little clearly uncomfort- picked it back up. It definitely was a little uncomfortable so, uh, sure. at the beginning they of were well last under 500. season before they made the elite eight last year. There was it was a little uncomfortable, and people were starting to worry about, you know, were they going to ever rebound and uh, how how is that going to go? But no, the the way he's turned these past two seasons in, he's uh, he, he's got he's got as long as he wants to. So Tony Skin goes to George Mason. Anything on the bigger level that that strikes you that we didn't hit on last week with coaches moving around here? Uh, I don't know if I would call it bigger, but it is kind of funny that that Stanford doubles down on their guy that's been there for like six or seven years, hasn't even made the tournament. And Cal said, you know what? We'll get Mark Fox out of here. We'll bring in uh, Mark Madsen, the Utah Valley guy, who's originally, as you know, is a first-round pick of the Lakers and mm-hmm. played the over dancer. St- played He's over the at, dancer, baby. Played over at yeah. Stanford. So there's a little bit of rivalry pull in yeah. that one. Yeah. So he so Madsen goes to Cal, played at Stanford. Danced well with the Lakers up on the stage after getting the ring. I'm kind of interested in the domino effect of Mike Rhodes leaving VCU for glad Penn you, State. Glad you brought that one up because that's there's a lot of interesting things there because you've got a great mid-major program that's on the rise out west. 
So you, Utah State's yes. guy leaves to go to VCU. Do we Mike feel like Rhodes. that's a lateral move? I, 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 I don't know it's how I feel hard about to, it. It is hard to say. I think the... I think viewpoint comes into play here a lot because where you are, like on the map, like being in Richmond, Virginia and having some access to D.C. basketball and also the Tidewater. I think recruiting ground is really something that comes into play here and what you could do at VCU and the conference they're in, maybe who who he thinks that you can schedule against. Could be a little bit he's better, also, but he's an East Coast yeah, guy. He was born in Durham, so he he's he's an East Coast guy. I can understand why he'd want to come back. But. Just so we just so we don't put the cart ahead of the horse. The story there is Penn State's hire. So let's make sure we yes. let's make sure we officially state what's going on. Penn State to replace Micah Shrewsbury goes and gets Mike Rhodes from VCU, and then VCU lands. Ryan Odom. Ryan Odom. Famously from Utah known for State. the uh, UMBC upset. Yeah, the UMBC cat. So that's uh, that's a crazy little domino. Yeah, effect. it's yeah. well, it's going to be a domino effect not only for you know what happens at Utah State and what happens at Penn State, but really at VCU because I just saw recently that Ace Baldwin, the star point guard, also entered the portal, and it sounds like a lot of guys there are a little bit frustrated and upset that they felt like they were. Uh, misled with how things were going to go this offseason. They thought Rhodes was going to stay there. Now that pretty much shakes up the A-10. And for a program like, and we'll, we'll revert this back to the state of Ohio, with Dayton, a team that's going to lose a lot of talent this offseason, it doesn't set them back completely because it seems like the rest of the conference outside of maybe Fordham is resetting. You see the contract that Rhodes received? I think it was like seven years, right? Seven years, $26 million. How about that, man? So that's clearly Ooh, that's clearly nice. evidence that they don't want a they don't want the Micah Shrewsbury thing to happen again and B that they were being serious about the reports of offering up some money for Shrewsbury to stay. I think that's a good get. I really do. I think that tells you something about what Shrewsbury did and Penn State's in the Big Ten, you know, and they have a really really dominant football program. I think they're one of those guys where you would look at and and you would say and agree that there's no reason why your your basketball should suck for as long as it has sucked. You know, that just it doesn't make sense. It it strikes me as that type of place that they were just missing the right guy. Like you just had to pick the right guy that could make some waves. Shrewsbury got the ball rolling a little bit better here. And whether they're going to lose some of the roster or not, it's about like the excitement. It's about maybe being able to walk into some living rooms and say, hey, man, like you saw you saw what we were just doing there at Penn State basketball, right? Like that's. That's something we're committed to now. Yeah, it's also I think evidence, they can see that. It's evidence that they can play at that level and they can get guys at that level to come and play at Penn State. And, I mean, what? They just had to pull Shrewsbury out of uh, Purdue's coaching staff. And or, originally, they don't pull a lot of top guys at different programs. So, so to pull a guy like Rhodes from VCU, that shows just kind of the reputation they're starting to build there. So, for their sake, it looks like it's heading in the right direction. All right. This 2022-23 college basketball season is coming to a screaming finish in Houston. We snap back to the Final Four, and these two guys tell you how it's going to go. I'm sure it's going to be wrong, but we tell you, and it's going to be 100% right. We're both going to be right. I, I promise you that. We roll on. It's Mad About Hoops. Wow, I think this is the last podcast segment we're going to do in season because I doubt we're going to do a pop-up podcast on Sunday or Monday. I guess you never know. Never say never. But it's certainly not on the books right now. Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin, Final Four and National Championship game coming up in a two-day pack here. Excited for it. 
I'm excited for it too, and I've been going back and forth between my picks. It seems like the last 30 minutes in my head while we've been doing the show, and you know, I always think I'm going to go with one way, then I choose another, and then it just gets <laughs> completely blown up in my face because of how this tournament's gone. But I'm curious to see what you pick because I think I'm, go- I'm going to go a little bit off the board. Let's uh, let's fill up everybody's heads first before we give the picks. So uh, some more here, and this is from Sports Illustrated where I'm getting my, my final four factoids today. The 2023 Final Four will only be the fourth without a number one seed. So people wondering about that, if it's the first ever or whatever, it will be the fourth the prior three with the winning teams. I think the last one was 2011, the uh, UConn-Butler year. Here, here you go, yeah. Uh, I'll go before that, though. 1980, when two-seed Louisville won in 06 with the Florida Gators. We just talked about that one with Mason cutting down the nets as a three-seed, as well as UConn's 2011 team being a number three seed. So there you go. The state of Florida. This is interesting. Two teams in the same Final Four for the first time, and it's Miami and Florida Atlantic. When we mentioned we had Florida, the Gators, win back-to-back national championships there. And, I mean, who else really would provide the best chance? Florida State with Leonard Hamilton with what their program has done. I don't think he's made it to the Final Four, but if we were just to think think in terms of the best opportunities for Florida schools, Miami now, um... Certainly certainly not Florida Atlantic. Florida <laughs> Gulf not, Coast, not Dunk City got to the Sweet 16 that one time, but that's interesting for Florida, such a, a state that has a lot of Division One programs. That's the thing. Do you know the state that actually has the most Final Four appearances? Okay, so... I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let you pick the first and the second if you want. North Carolina. State? I mean, I'm trying to say different states, or like states, different schools in that state that, that have made the Final Four. Okay, so I was thinking in completely different terms. You're just, like, North Carolina counts as one. Correct. Duke counts as one. Correct. Uh, okay, good question. Um, think of big states. California? California second with seven. California is seven. Where, so Florida's not it, huh? It is not. Uh, will I be kind of surprised at this state? No. It's clearly not North Carolina. You typically highlight this state because of a certain city. God, because of a certain city. Jeez, mm. man, Texas. I can hear the victory. I can hear the bell ringing as we speak. <laughs> I don't even know where you're going with this. This is killing me. Tell me, it's just tell Philadelphia me. Philadelphia and the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Oh man, yeah, with schools the big like, five. Schools like yeah. Duquesne, Temple. Yeah, they've all Duquesne. All yes, Final Four. Back Duquesne. in like the fifties. Yeah. Okay. Hey, it still counts. Still counts. Like the San Francisco Dons, they count. That's right. Or California there. Uh, Speaking of an in-state battle in the final game, it's happened before. Oh, boy. Cincinnati and Ohio State. Of course. (laughs) It's still, I just, I've said this many, many times I know, living in 2023, being so far away from that, and how we've only really, we've only gotten to see Ohio State in that final game the one time. Just it boggles my mind and to think it, of back it, to back years. It was back to back years because yeah. I thought were they in the final four in, the, in sixty, but Ohio State ended up playing Cal. Uh yeah, that sounds right. I think that's what it was. An Ohio State Cal game does sound right, and I want to say like where Ohio State won their national championship was like the Cal Palace, like that was the name of the place, like out in California. 
So there's a lot of interesting things there. Ohio State was in the first ever Final Four in 1939. And they lost to Oregon. Yes. Right? Yeah, first ever Final Four. That was in, in the national championship game. And with uh, the, it looks like they did play Cal in the final. And Cincinnati was against, or Cincinnati was also in the final four with NYU. So three straight years, you had Ohio State and Cincinnati in the final four. But in that first one, Ohio State lost to Cal in the yes, championship game. Actually, Cincinnati was in the final four, four straight years. Unbelievable. Well, they did have that guy named the Big O <laughs> in those times. So pretty good. <laughs> they right. had other dudes as well, but. He was the most famous. Uh, FAU comes into the Final Four with the best record of the group, going 35-3. and three. We know that. The Owls also have the longest winning streak entering the Final Four with 11 straight victories. From this year's four teams, only UConn has been to the Final Four prior to this season. Huskies have made it to six and won the title in 99-04-2011 and 2014-2014. I, I think I said it last week. UConn just feels like they are that that best performing school that doesn't, for whatever reason, seem, to me at least, opinion-based. I don't feel like they get into that same group with the rest of the Blue Bloods because they certainly deserve to. I mean, they've got that. They got the NBA dudes. They got the winning. They got the national championships, NCAA tournament championships more specifically. Mm-hmm. They've got the pedigree, but... Here we go, man. Let's uh, let's make our picks. Final four, two games Saturday, national championship game on Monday night, like always. UConn and Miami. This is the late one. This is the approximately 849 tip-off. The five versus the four. Seed-wise and just with UConn being so good. I feel like the, I feel like everybody agrees this is the this is the the main event. That's so why it's the late one. This is the primetime event. Who you got here? So for the big game, I am going to stick with trends, and I, I love data. I'm going to take data to the end. I'm going to take Connecticut on one side. I, I just can't deny what they have and what they've been doing in this tournament. And to pick it up sit here would just feel silly, even though I, I want to. I, I'd like to see this Miami team make a run and have an all-Florida final, but I'm not going to do that. But I will have UConn. And on the other side, I will actually see Florida Atlantic. I want to see the story continue to go on. I think they do have the offense to get over that 65-point threshold that's probably going to be needed to beat a San Diego State team. So I will have the Owls against UConn, and unfortunately, uh, to be kind of chalk, I will take the Huskies to win that. I wish I had some kind of fact about uh, steam rolling through March because I do remember North Carolina was a team that won every game by double digits when they pasted Michigan State in the championship in 09, I want to say, that year was, where it was Hansbro, Wayne Ellington, Ty Lawson, Danny Green, uh, Deion Thompson. They were just, they were studs. They didn't play a single-digit game. I don't feel like UConn is anywhere near that good, but you play who you play. You know, you play against, you get your path, you play the teams that are on your schedule. I just feel like it's been too easy for them, and they're really, really good. They've proven they're really, really good. They're a Final Four team, for God's sakes. But Miami is really freaking good. I know, man. Really freaking good with their guards, and I'm going to take, I'll be silly, and I'm going to take the upset. I'm going to take the upset. I'm going to take Miami in this one. I love that for you because, uh, honestly, this is – I touched on this online. 
uh, the five seed is the only top eight seed that hasn't won a national title, and we could have a possible double five seeds in the final. And that would just completely be wow. poetic for how this no tournament went. No five seed? No five seeds. No five seed. In terms of the top eight seeds, that is the only seed line that has never won a title, and it would be just poetic for how this tournament's gone for it to be a guaranteed five seed winning this. And I love my FAU owls. I love them, but I'm going to go – with the safe pick there. I can't believe UConn I'm looking at is a five and a half point favorite. San Diego state's a three point favorite. I would definitely probably play the Miami side then. Yeah. If you're going spread. Absolutely. I I mean, I'm going to take them to win. So yeah, San Diego state is getting three. I am taking the Aztecs here. I just think they're, they're, they're rolling. They're rolling. It's good for Jaden Ledee. We talk about Buckeye connections went uh, left Ohio state. Don't know what ultimately went on there behind the scenes or where they didn't like his fit with the role, but he goes to TCU, didn't work there, goes to San Diego State. He seems like a good dude, and he's playing the game hard and has a good attitude about him And uh, in the Final Four, and he's he's been a very solid player. Like, not starting, but coming into the game and having major impact. Yeah, he's provided a real depth piece in the front court. And behind Nathan Mensa, they really needed someone that could step up and do that. And he's provided really good board play. He's really good at uh, offensive and defensive rebounding, and it's really been a difference maker. So I got SDSU over FAU and all of Miami. So you will go with the all fives. I love that. Yeah, I got the fives. Do you have the Aztecs as well? Uh, No, I took Florida Atlantic. Oh, wow. So we we actually went opposite. So so we could could be all wrong. Like we could either, one of us could be completely right or the podcast together could be completely wrong and get nothing right. Here's the thing, especially with mine, I don't even know if this is realistic to happen. Like I'm just kind of going off my gut pick because this tournament's just been so unpredictable. It's it feels like if you pick one side, you need to just flip your answer and pick the other because that seems to be what's happening. Yeah, but, so so Jesus me, I already know you have UConn beating FAU. Me personally, I do have that, yeah. but I'm hoping for any of the other three teams. I I want a new champion. I want a new first-time champion. So I'll have Miami doing it. Good. I'll have the U the you who we just anoint as being back in football all the time, every year, anytime they get like a De'Eric King, anytime they make a big splash, oh, Tate Martell's coming out. They're always back. They're always ready to do a new coaching hire. No, forget about it. It's Jim Laranaga and it's the basketball program. They're going to get you a national championship. Don't worry about your little <laughs> football down there. Jimmy Johnson, Michael Irvin ain't walking through that door. You're a basketball school now. Get used to it. MVP is John Ruiz, the guy that dropped the bag for Nigel Pack. <laughs> oh, man. Who is the guy before? Who is the dirty dude before Ruiz? Who is, you know, getting uh Was it like Nevin Butch Shapiro? Davis? Nevin Shapiro. Yeah, man. What a mind. What a beautiful mind. <laughs> Just pointless, useless stuff. Popping champagne bottles. No, man. I he was, was NIL on the dudes way before NIL. He was, but I was, I, yeah. I, I mean, I watched the documentary and everything on that. So I was, I was super into that. I think he was messing around with the North Carolina program from his Butch Davis relationship. That's what I remember about Nevin Shapiro. Interesting. And the Miami guys. And he was like getting those UNC athletes because Butch had that incredible recruiting class there and they had a bunch of dudes going into the NFL. But hey, there we go. There we go. So I got Miami over San Diego State. He's got UConn over Florida Atlantic, and that's how the Final Four is going to go. And what you should do is you should bet the opposite side of that between you and I. 
just well, because it's likely one of us is going to be really wrong on this. Well, it's been a whole lot of fun. It really has been. What a what a season. Ups and downs, unexpected turns, just like you would expect with any ben, college basketball ben season. Advertised. It's just a good ride, man. Just a good ride. The NCAA tournament, it's always fun. We didn't have our team in it, but it's still always fun. So good stuff, man. Yeah, I can't wait to watch these games this weekend and then rolling into Monday. Hopefully it's a really, really, really good final because we deserve it. We will break down what happened in the final four coming up next week and then uh, we'll decide whatever uh, whatever kind of off-season workout routine we're going to get into with this podcast. But thank you guys so much for being with us every step of the way. This has been Mad About Hoops.